I'm Cray Beaumont Flynn. Welcome to Beyond the Design, a show that gives you a peek behind the curtain of the design industry and shares the stories of those that are the driving force behind it. Welcome to Beyond the Design today. We have with us Jake Shemansky. Welcome to the show, Jake. Hi, Craig. Nice to be here. Well, why don't you just go ahead and start and tell us about, tell us a little bit about your journey as an artist and uh, what got you started in this field? Sure. So, um, JM Shemansky is, is my company. It's a namesake company. Um, we're a luxury furniture and home goods company based in uh, Bronx, New York. Mm-hmm. We are coming up on seven years old. Um, it's been, it's been, it's been fun. We did, uh, <laughs> a, um, AD home show about seven years ago. That was, um, that's when I consider, you know, the start of the launching point. Yeah. The launching point. Um, and prior to that, I worked as a designer for a couple of well-known interior designers here in New York City. Um, I worked for Bill Sofield for about five years, um, went on to work for someone else before I started uh, Jam Schmansky. And then before that, um, I went to school at FIT for interior design. So that was the, um, the reason for moving to New York. I'd always wanted to live in New York, but that's ultimately what got me here. So I studied at FIT, um, an incredible New York state school. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that, I guess, I guess that was the beginning of my design education. My journey really started well before that. Um, I come from, uh, I'm the son of two adventurers. Um, my parents who currently live in Idaho, but uh, they, uh, I call them adventurers, but really they were missionaries. Um, we lived in Nepal for seven years when I was Oh, wow. Um, uh, I think it, their taste for adventure really brought them there. And then the, the mission to kind of um, help bring these people out of poverty um, was another motivation. But I, I, I think that, really um brought me uh it opened my eyes to the whole world Mm -hmm. um i'm very super hyper visual so when i see things it just kind of just absorbs so to be able to travel and just absorb that much visual information before i was 13 was um definitely a big precedent so so what what pushed you to jumpstart your own line of furniture and go in that direction instead of just uh, working for someone else and doing interior design. It was That's such a huge a, leap of faith. <laughs> totally. It was such a surprise. Um, it was never the, the, the goal. Mm-hmm. I think um, when I was working for Bill Sofield, I took a class on the side just to get my hands a little dirty and more just out of interest. I went to, um, School of Visual Arts and just took a production class and loved it. Um, found myself working in the production studio after work and on the weekends. Ended up taking the class, I think, four times just so I can get access to their 
their space. Right. Um, and ultimately it ended up doing actual production in the basement of the School of Visual Arts. So some people start in a garage. I started in the basement of the school. <laughs> so what and, motivates? Go ahead. Um, and uh, I, I had to pick a time and leave and find my own studio. And that was about seven years ago. Now, tell us about your first collection when you first launched. How did that come about in the process? Did you have all these ideas in your head that like you have uh, multiple drawings behind you? Did you have a whole stack of ideas that you wanted to get out into the market? I I did. I and the, they were ideas that weren't that weren't out there and I think I think I felt like it was an opportunity to put something that's not out on the market, put mm-hmm. it out there. And uh, I remember seeing a set of vessels um, and this one, it was just a picture online. It was really the inspiration for the whole first collection. I looked at it. I said, I think I can make that. I made it. Not to say it was easy, but it, for me, it kind of was. It, it mm-hmm. just this sculptural mentality and I'm good with my hands ended up being quite easy. So uh, this little vessel collection turned into a collection of six pieces. And then I did a table and then a table after that. And eventually I had enough uh, work to present at the the maid section of the Architectural Digest show uh, seven years ago. Um, And I was uh, quite well-connected in my FIT days. Mm -hmm. Um, It's quite the nerd. I was the president of the Interior Design Club, and I asked Brad Ford to come and speak to our club, and he did. Um, Lovely guy, and I stayed in touch with him, and um, he uh, had me come over to his showroom fair in the 200 Lex building and present him my work, and we've had a phenomenal relationship ever since. So what what is the process for you in creating your collection, how do you go about it and getting it produced? And you have your own uh, workroom that you actually produce and uh, facilitate the creation of the pieces. We do, we do. We we make about ninety percent of our product, mm-hmm. um, and ninety percent of that products. Well, a hundred percent of that product's made in New York, actually, but ninety percent is made in our studio here in the Bronx. So we have a four thousand square foot space which um, has uh, a small gallery. We've got our workshop, which is about a thousand square foot of it, our metal production studio, and then another space for our patina and finishing. And um, and then a very sort of multi-purpose space where we just experiment and play with new materials. And um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> But, a lot of work. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of work and a lot of fun. And it's not sexy 99% of the time. It's very messy and dirty. And I mean, production's a, it's a dirt, it's a, it's a messy business. Right, um, right. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. And metal in particular is um, you need, uh, you need a certain, um, almost impatience for metal. Mm-hmm. Wood takes patience, metal takes impatience. You got to <laughs> force it to your will. 
So what motivates you and uh, inspires you in creating your pieces and just being in this industry? I, oh, it's, it's just in my blood. I, I love design. Um, ever since I can remember, it's just, um, it's just part of me. Um, I think, uh, innovation motivates me. Um, the world inspires me. And I think those two together just kind of keep me moving forward. Um, I travel a lot as much as I can. I think that's a, uh, next to design. That's probably my next favorite thing is traveling. And, um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's fun. I love, I just, I love design. Now, do you do commission work as well or just your collection? We, I would say about 70 to 80% of the work we're doing on any given day is from our collection. Um, Mm -hmm. Our client is the interior designer and the architect. So they reach out to us and we produce work for their projects, oftentimes with little tweaks, custom tweaks. Um, And then I would say about 20% of our business is um, more highly custom, uh, I call them private commissions. So that's oftentimes an interior designer who has um, a space within a home that they would like something very site-specific or mm-hmm. uh, special or uh, and oftentimes one of a kind. So we'll work directly with them in presenting them some unique ideas. And, um, and we go through a process of designing until we get what we like, and then we produce that product here. Um, and oftentimes, more than often, do our own installations as well. So, so go ahead. I'm sorry. The, the, uh, these private commissions are maybe my favorite part of, of what we do. They're a lot of fun. Now, are you represented through showrooms throughout the U.S.? Or We do. We sell directly. I think the bulk of our business is sold direct to our client, the interior mm-hmm. designer and the architect. Uh, we have a great relationship with Fair um, Bradford Showroom um, here in New York City. So we've got pieces on their showroom floor. We have a new relationship um, with uh, Wareco in Atlanta. Um, he's a young guy who's really representing probably the coolest um, up-and-coming designers right now in the Atlanta mm-hmm. southern area. And we're looking for someone in LA, just nothing's really quite um, felt right yet. Um, but so, so we, we do, I would say about 30% of our business is wholesale. So what are some of the key factors you consider when designing a piece to ensure the creative and functionality of it? Uh, I think it's really important to understand the market, to know what's out there. So I'm very in tune with what other designers are coming out with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also know my design history. So I think if you understand design history and you know what's currently on the market, you're really able to know that when you're producing something, it is um, it is unique. It's, um, it's not stepping on anyone's toes. Right. Today, but it's also um, uh, it. It also speaks to history, but it doesn't um, uh, replicate history. 
design history. So I think I think that's very important to my process is the understanding of both contemporary and historical design. Um, and I think that's another sort of assurance in making something that's timeless versus trendy. Mm-hmm. Um, and also nothing too sort of stale or overdone. What were you most surprised about when you first started this venture? It's like, I didn't learn that in school. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? And that's an interesting, that's an interesting point is, um, I, uh, I sort of claim my time at studio. So as being my, my design education. So that's really where I learned my design references and art history. Um, FIT, however, gave me this incredible toolbox of technical skills so I'm um, still very much up to date on my AutoCAD and my 3D modeling. So FIT really set me up in that technical direction. And then it was kind of up to me and then my time at Studio Sofield to, um, to learn my, my art history. Um, uh, yeah. So tell us a little bit about the very first piece that came from hand to paper to actual reality. So we have this very chronological system of naming our products and it really is. So it, it, it starts with vessel collection, number one, Mm -hmm. then it starts with table number one and goes on to table number two, table number three. It actually ends up becoming quite confusing (laughs) because it's hard to put it. The alternative was, you know, we could call the table, the Chesterfield table or, you know, but um, so, so it is chronological. So table number one was our first table. Really came about from a lack of resources. Um, I was an interior designer uh, working for someone else, wasn't paid an enormous amount of money, and I didn't have a lot of resources. So I looked around me and I gathered um, what I could. And from that, I designed table number one. Um, and it's a very unique table that doesn't have a lot of material. I mean, that's the material I had at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so to this day, I still say some of my best ideas came from a lack of resources. And um, that's sort of my, um, that's some of my advice for young designers. Is you don't need an enormous amount of resources to come up with good designs. Um, in fact, some of the best ideas come from not having a lot. What table number are you at now? I think we just finished table 22, table 22, okay. which is the coffee table. Um, we're on to lighting now and upholstery. So our um, we don't come out with an enormous amount of product every year. Um, we spend a lot of time creating very special pieces um, Mm -hmm. that we hope will be here for a long time. And um, I think our goal is to not, uh, you know, crowd this already very crowded world with more product. Um, Instead, come out with very special pieces um, that we we feel strongly and believe, believe in. And how many pieces do you have in your full line at the moment? Oh goodness! We probably have close to forty. I'm 
I, I'm probably underestimating that. I haven't counted them in, in some time, but I would say anywhere between 40 and 60 pieces. Um, and you just and you just launched a new collection, or you're in the process of? We did. We um, so uh, early summer we launched our third collection, and it's one of my favorite ones because it was my experiment in taking design less serious. I think mm-hmm. we're we oftentimes get caught in this trap that design is serious and it has to be serious, especially high end design. Um, right. So this this collection was a little bit more whimsical and romantic and even a little bit more feminine. Um, so it is our, our third collection and it's doing quite well. Um, and we're very, very proud of it. So how do you approach designing a new piece? I think my ideas surprise me where they come from. Um, mm. I have, I think like a lot of designers, I have just uh, an outrageous amount of photography on my phone. I think it's in the thousands. <laughs> but, you know, any, any, any moment I can capture that might in, inform or inspire something down the line, I'll take that photo. Mm. Um, and that comes about by way of traveling and being out in the city. I mean, I moved to New York City to um, to kind of be in New York City. And right. so on a day-to-day basis, there's just an enormous amount of inspiration kind of right in front of me. Um, and I'm a hyper-visual person, so... I'm able to kind of see through a lot of noise. Um, I'll go into a showroom for market research, I call it. I'll scan the place and be out in two minutes because I've seen everything. (laughs) That's quick. That's Um, quick read. (laughs) Quick read. Um, Less of a words and numbers guy, but Mm. in imagery, that's that's my language for sure. Um, It definitely, it, it feels like a language. Um, sort of the 3D visual arts. It's definitely language. But ideas come from anywhere and then they tend to uh, move on to paper. And my, my rule is there's no lack of ideas. I mean, those, those come, they're free. You don't have to pay for them. Um, but whether or not an idea sticks is sort of the, the really um, informative telling part of an idea. So I'll just, I'll let it sit. I'll just, I'll let it sit. If it stays in the back of my head for, I would say more than a few weeks, it's probably time to um, sketch and maybe even start prototyping. But um, the hand, hand sketching is, is a big part of our process. I see all the sketches behind you. Are those actual your, your sketches? They're my sketches. That's great. I cheat a little. I do do some underlays, um, sketch up. You know, I'll do some uh, some underlays, sketch up, and then um, print those off and do some overlays by hand. And that's when I'm able to get the the more free form organic um, shapes. 
So I cheat a little bit, but they are mine. <laughs> so you mentioned you started with metal and now you're into lighting and upholstery. What made you go into that direction and wanted to actually grow the overall uh, production of, of your pieces and collection? Um, I think it's very important for us to move forward. We've made a statement and the industry's seen us. Mm -hmm. um, they know what we're capable of, but I think now we're at a place where we need to prove that, you know, we're certainly not a one hit wonder and we've got um, more things to say. Uh, we have a uh, uh, perspective that we want to share and it's, it, you know, it's not limited to just a few pieces. Um, and I think it's important to, I mean, the, the interior design and furniture world moves so slowly. So on right. one hand, I'm, I'm just enormously thankful for that because I don't have this pressure to turn out 13 pieces two times a year, like maybe the fashion industry does. Um, but at the same time, it's important for us to keep moving um, mm -hmm. and evolve. What advice would you give to someone that's looking to start their own collection or get into this industry? Yeah. Well, it's, I'm still quite involved with FIT. So it's just, it's so fun to be able to see what the young guys are doing. Um, I would say, I think my early days, I was so within my own head about the small stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, needing things to be just a certain way. And if it didn't turn out the way I had envisioned, it was, you know, the end of the world. But my, my advice to any young designer is to just don't sweat the small stuff, focus on the big picture. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then you, again, you don't need an enormous amount of resources to come up design is there any piece that you've designed that you look at like uh that topped it all that just is part of you, part of you part of your soul besides the number one table <laughs> your very first piece is there any piece that's like that came from your heart and soul yeah well that yes i mean when you when you get to design for yourself so much of you ends up going into these pieces. It is, mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting. It's hard to be businessman and artist at the same time, right? you know, because on one hand I can't get emotionally attached, but I have, I, I can't help but get emotionally attached. Right. So many of these pieces um, come deep within me. Some of them are, are less so, but uh, the early pieces are definitely the most sentimental. And let's see the more recent pieces. Um, right now, I would say are the the commission pieces, the private commissions, um, mm -hmm. and I think those are special because it's such a one on one um, collaboration between myself and the client. That process is so fun. You end up forming a very cool relationship, and um, the end is uh, very unique and. One of a kind. 
So tell us a little bit about your production process, because I'm sure you are a very hands-on type person since you are an artist as well in creating your, your own line. So what is that yeah. process? So the material comes into our studio. It's, uh, it's raw material. So steel as we know it is just that sort of dull gray industrial right. mm-hmm. uh, material. It's nothing. I've never pretended like it's anything precious. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not bronze. It's not brass. It, it's, it's steel. So with that understanding that we need to take this raw material and turn it into something beautiful, we tend to take the material and we put it in uh, what we call an acid bath. So muriatic acid takes off that top coat of the steel, which leaves us with that bright, warm, shiny steel. Mm-hmm. And um, we apply a grinding wheel to the, the surface of that steel to give it a nice grain and a depth, uh, very much like a wood has a grain. This sanding process creates a grain on the steel and it creates depth and a warmth. And then we take that same grinding wheel and we apply it to the edges of the, the steel. So then we get a little bit of that, um, you know, old medieval hammered look. And that steel is welded. It's a very simple process of MIG welding. The welds are ground off so that you have a seamless look. Then that product goes into our patina room where we apply a patina solvent. It's a chemical solvent that we apply to that beautiful sort of warm silver canvas. And that solvent reacts with the steel. It's this sort of very magical, instant living reaction. It's a live reaction with the steel, which turns it black. And that's where you get sort of those warm blues and blacks and a mm-hmm. little bit of movement. Um, it's never painted. It's always patinaed. So it's, it, is a, it is a live um, sort of moving um, finish that patina is washed off. We clear coat it with three coats of uh, permalac clear coat, which um, stops that o- oxidization process, but it also prevents further oxidization once it reaches the client's home. So the idea is that you you have a living finish. It will change with time and it will react to the, to the elements, but with care, it's um, it remains this sort of deep black material. And then after the clear coat, we we give it a little wax, we buff that out, and then we're left with this um, slight luster uh, that mm-hmm. just kind of brings out those rich blues and blacks from from the, the the finish. So that that's really what makes our product special. Um, there's there's a lot of metal out there, but it tends to be painted, uh, uh, stained. If people right. tell you it's a patina, it's probably a stain, um, <laughs> and uh, or powder coated. So our product is really special because you are living with and seeing that um, that raw material. 
Have you ever designed anything that from hand to paper and then started creating it and it's taken a life upon itself and kind of changed uh, your thought of where this piece is going to go? Oh, all the time. It, <laughs> I think the industry calls those happy accidents. Um, so right. we, get, we get lots of happy accidents. I think my favorite happy accident uh, is, so if once you grind the steel down, you're exposing the steel to elements. So you either need to clear coat it right away or you're going to get you're you're going to get a very oxidized result. Oxidized oxidized steel is rusty steel. So uh, we finished this table. It was sort of the height of summer. It was super, super humid. And we left it we must have been so busy with other things, but we left it unclear coated, and the result was just this like rich, rusty, sort of deep red, um, sort of Richard Sarah meets Isamu Noguchi, <laughs> and just beautiful. And there's some some decisions I'll make for myself with no intention for it to be popular or liked. So I said, let's clear coat this. I love this. Um, and I kept it, we photographed it and it happens to be one of our best selling pieces. It's <laughs> our, our court and steel finish. So it's there my you go. fiance, Josh came into the studio one day and not meaning to be insulting. He looked at the table and he said, I can't believe people pay this kind of money for rusty steel. <laughs> <laughs> and and it is it is beautiful it is just it's so um it's so beautiful it's this great alternative to wood i think a lot of designers use our product because um your space may be filled with lots of wood woods and other warm tones and one great way to break that up is by using a piece of our steel um, and then now the Corton steel. So still not very forgiving or is it? Steel. It, it's yes. I would say steel is forgiving in the sense that you, it's not like wood where if you cut mm -hmm. wood down to the wrong size, you have to get a new piece of wood, cut right. it to the right size. Steel, you can kind of fake it a little bit more. Um, you can add and subtract a little bit more. Um, the, there's an unpredictability to steel, though. It does have its own... Um, wants to do what it wants to do, especially when it's under heat. It can expand and contract in these very sort of cool ways. Uh, right. And that I think that's the most that's the biggest challenge with steel is um, it, it, you never know what it's going to do. Wood, you know what it's going to do. Metal, you, you just have no idea. And then you get to the patina process and it's the same thing. You don't, you don't know what it's going to do. You don't know what movement it's going to, you might like it. You might hate it. You might hate it so much. We'll redo it. It might be weird, but we like it. So we'll keep it. So it is, um, it's, it's, it's forgiving, but maybe a little more unpredictable than a lot of materials. So do you have a stockpile of ideas and designs in your head that you just haven't put on to paper yet? Oh, yes. 
<laughs> lots of ideas. I and I, maybe that's a little word of advice I would give not young designers, but really any designers is if you're a good designer, there should be no lack of ideas. And I think so many people hold so tightly to certain ideas that um, they it sort of prevents an evolution mm-hmm. in their work, kind of stagnates them. But also when the, when the inevitable sort of copycat comes around, you know, it, 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 and it's happened to me, it does feel like the end of the world. It feels horrible, but, um, but then you, you, you move on because you're right. confident in your ability to create new, new work and new ideas. Um, but always, always more ideas and always thinking it's sort of the designer's blessing and curse. Um, right. Is you can't keep them from coming in. True. True. So is there anything particular you want to design that you just haven't had the time to do it yet? I think a lot of what I want to do really needs the right client. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have an enormous amount of ideas and I think this, I, I'm ready and I'm excited for a larger scale product. Um, we now have the skill and the resources in the space to be able to do larger scale work. And those don't come around very often. So, it, you know, and they tend to need the right client who appreciates and understands our work. Our work is very specific. It's a little severe, a little masculine, um, and very heavy. So it, it's, it takes the right client. But they come, they don't come very often, but they do come. And when they come, we go, we dive right in. Is there a material that you want to work with that you haven't yet? It's a good question. So right now we're primarily working with steel. We work with, we have a beautiful hand plaster finish that we're we're working with that we apply to our steel. Mm -hmm. And then we have a... um, palladium and a gold leaf finish that we also apply to our steel ceramics ceramics i love ceramics and i actually have a kiln i don't get to use it as much as i want to i would say i would i would i would say i would love to do more ceramics large scale smaller scale Just, yeah, just small, <laughs> you know, just like hand building. Right. Um, I listened to your podcast with, um, who is it? Dumas made. Oh, Charlie. Just, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just, you know, and I hear, I hear, I hear their stories and it just makes me want to get in. Get <laughs> do um, you do a uh, rope or do you throw clay on a wheel? Just hand build. Yeah. I, I come from a family of nurse practitioners and engineers, and but my grandfather, he was a dentist, but he was also a very successful um, ceramic artist. So there's a, I, I, I would be in his studio just kind of putzing around. So it's a little <laughs> nostalgic as well. All right. So what's next uh, for Jake, Jake Shemansky? And your collection. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of 
plans. Um, <laughs> new designs coming up. We're, yeah. I'm going to Nepal. So I told you a little bit about my family history in Nepal. I'm going to Nepal next year. And I'm really going to use that as an opportunity to explore textiles a little bit more, um, to research textile production, but also see how I can evolve my own relationship with Nepal. Um, that was a his it was a large part of my history, but I think I'd like to make it a little bit of my future as well. So whether or not we produce there or um, I just do a little exploration of new product there but um i think we're really excited about that and we're going to expand on our lighting collection we have a small lighting collection coming out early next year mm-hmm. it'll be a mix of our steel and iron with blown glass We've, there's a very cool technique of cage blown glass that interesting in murano italy so we're working with um keep down in brooklyn to do to do our glass blowing. And um, so we're very excited about that. And I'm getting married in November. So that's probably that's great. the thing on my mind. <laughs> about that. Yes, that, that's a, a big uh, upcoming event. Well, congratulations to you, to you and your partner. Thank you. What would you tell yourself of what you know now to the person seven years ago? on this journey of yours? Mm, that's a good question. So it's so interesting actually, cause I've always referenced my 13 year old self. So I keep this young man in the back of my head and I would ask myself, what would my 13 year old self do? And what decision would he be proud of? And I've actually began to let the 13-year-old self go because he's not working for me in the way <laughs> he used to. I think right. he gave me a certain amount of protection, but after a while he held me back and now I'm just looking forward. I'm mm-hmm. really well, I, let me take that back. I'm 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 focusing on now. I think um I'm really enjoying the stage of where the business is at right now and mm-hmm. just life. Um, so, um, I don't know if that answered your question, but a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Well, let me reverse it. Where are you going to be in five years? Where do you want to be in five years, both personally and professionally? I'm in this place where I'm, I think as a young man, I really thought I would have this big company and I still think that's what I want, but I'm, I'm wondering if maybe it's not what I want. Maybe I want to maintain a smaller company, but right now I'm exploring growth. Uh, I want to see where we can go in the next five years. We've, uh, we've grown exponentially every single year since we started. And I think we're still on that upswing. So I'm going to take that as far as I can go. We're starting a new segment of our company or rather it's going to be a separate company Mr. Chapman, and that will be uh, an antique component of our company. So that will oh, be interesting. Um, hopefully, specializing a little bit in some Carlo Bugattis and some other Italian um, designers. 
But I think that's an area where we can expand and scale up without needing to scale up our production process. Um, I'm really happy with where we're at with the production. So I want to let that sit for a minute without growing too quickly. And um, Mr. Chapman, this new business will be kind of a fun experiment of scaling up um, with, uh, you know, product that already exists. What's the, what's behind the name, Mr. Chapman? So Mr. Chapman, Mr. Chapman is a, he's a bear gentleman. He's an English bear gentleman that travels the world looking for beautiful and exotic things. But the, the name Chapman historically means merchant. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I like it. <laughs> it'll be fun. It'll, yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun. It's, um, it's giving me those feelings of, uh, starting James Schmansky in the early days, just sort of that dreaming and mm-hmm. development and branding. I love branding and marketing. So it's been fun to develop Mr. Chapman as a character, but also as a business. Now, will that be housed in your current facility? Or are you looking for a new space to grow this? I, well, we are. So we're building inventory right now. So inventory will be stored here for the moment. Mm-hmm. But uh, eventually, we're hoping to get a space that we might even be able to sort of coexist with our our pieces, the James Mansky pieces. So it'll be a space where you can view um, Mr. Chapman's collection and my collection. How many people do you have on staff currently? Seven people, including myself. I just hired my sixth person, uh, uh, sixth and maybe biggest hire. I'm sort of letting go of the role of production manager. That's not to say I won't be in production, right? but um, my schedule is so sort of to and fro all the time that it's <laughs> always be present for my production team. So I'm hiring a production manager that can always, uh, always be present. Um, so super excited about that. And um, we have a great, really great team. Um, all of whom are also young designers working on their own portfolios and their own mediums. Um, we've really tried to create a space that mm, promotes their own identity while mm-hmm. you know, working on our own common goal of making beautiful things. So do you collaborate with other artisans in creating pieces or projects? Yes, we do at least once a year. I try mm-hmm. and make a point of collaborating with someone. Our last collaboration was with a young woman here in the Bronx. She's a graffiti artist. Um, she's become a good friend of ours. So we had her um, create uh, sort of J.M. Schmansky specific um, graffiti uh, patterns that she then screen printed onto a textile and then we uh, made those pieces into um, three uh, unique one-of-a-kind pieces of work Mm -hmm. that um, are for sale and will go to um, the proceeds for those pieces will go to the lgbtq center here in the bronx that's fantastic off the wall question where are you getting married and where's where are you gonna go on your honeymoon (laughs) <laughs> oh, 
Oh my gosh, we're so excited. I'm also ready for it to just arrive. Wedding, <laughs> wedding planning is, they do not lie. It is stressful. Um, so we have a little home up in Stone Ridge and we're going to get married on our property in Stone Ridge in November. Uh, it will be cold. And then we have a reception at the Hutton Brickyard, which is this beautiful property on the Hudson River. It was an old um, brick factory. We're going to do a mini moon to our little, we've got a little ghetto, a little spot we like to go to in the Dominican Republic. And then our main honeymoon will be safari uh, next year. So fantastic coming up. Yeah. (laughs) So what else would you like to share and tell us, Jake? Yeah, so we've we love it when people come see our studio. It's in South Bronx. It's it's so easy to get to. I think when people hear Bronx, they they kind of shiver and wonder how far they're going to have to travel. But it's very close. It's the first stop in the Bronx on the six train. If you come up here, you get to see our production process. You get to meet the team and myself, and you get to see all of our in stock inventory. And then if you're in the city and you want to take your clients um, somewhere a little less gritty, you can go to FAIR uh, in the 200 Lexington building. We've got several pieces on the floor there. And we, um, we pride ourselves in our customer service. We're very quick responders. You will not have to wait more than a day for an invoice or a quote. Um, we have an amazing shipping success rate. Our product's get there on time and they get there in perfect shape and we're committed to um, just providing you with really the best, uh, best possible products. Fantastic. Now are you, you're, you mentioned that you're direct uh, wholesale, so you're not retail. And so if a, a listener that's on end user, they would have to go through a designer to purchase a piece. We, well, I, I make it, I do make exceptions. We've got some, um, we've got a very small handful of direct consumer clients. Um, the, the, they're hard though. I mean, the reason you do direct designer is because a designer speaks your same language. They know, they know how long things take. They know how challenging things can be. They know how challenging logistics are. So every once in a while, um, a very highly design educated end consumer will come about. And um, if, if, if they kind of understand that, then it tends to be a really fun process. Um, but it's really made me respect the interior designer. And I really admire what they do because that end user is, it, they can be really challenging to work with. Um, so I, I respect that relationship a lot and there's a business aspect as well (laughs) psychology yeah yeah Yeah. all that stuff well jake uh it's been a pleasure to have you on your on our show and i thoroughly appreciate it it's been a inspiring conversation and congratulations to you on your new collection and moving forward many many years to come yes this has been a lot of fun thank you 